Broadcasting live from the Hyundai studio. Presented by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. 670 The Score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is The Score. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The Score! You're listening to Zach Zaidman and Anthony Heron on 670 The Score. Chicago's sports station. Well, I mean, obviously there was a lot of a lot of talented shortstop this offseason, and um, and I know that Jed had conversations with a handful of the different different potential shortstops. But with Dansby, um, in addition to uh, you know his his great makeup, you know, and every and great teammate, and and someone that everyone to a, to a, to a man says he's a good guy to have, good guy to have on your on your squad. Um, you know, we looked at him as someone who is a great defender and a pretty good offensive player, but likely to stay a shortstop for as long as the contract. Whereas um, there were some of the guys where you weren't certain that was the case. And so he was the best fit for us all along and, and really you know, the player that Jed wanted the most in this offseason. And we're very fortunate that it, it worked out for us. Cubs chairman Tom Ricketts meeting the media today out in Arizona talking about the Cubs' biggest move this offseason adding Dansby Swanson as the team's new shortstop, moving Nico Horner to second base. There's a lot of optimism in Mesa as the Cubs are underway, full bore when it comes to spring training, in large part because they've got big leaguers, guys that when you when you flip on the radio this, this season or or turn on the TV and you watch the Cubs. Names that actually sound familiar. Yeah, names that sound familiar. <laughs> faces like, oh, I know who that guy is. Right. He played with the Dodgers and won a championship. That guy played with the Braves and won a championship. Wait a minute. That, that, that guy played with the Astros and won a championship. Didn't that guy win a championship with the Royals? Mm-hmm. That guy used to pitch for the Yankees. I, I know these players. And Ian Happ is coming off his best year as a professional player. You've got Seiya Suzuki in year two and Nico's Nico. I mean, there's there's a lot to like about what the Cubs did this offseason. Zach Sabin and Anthony Heron in for Parkinson Spiegel on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, we're here until 6 o'clock, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. All right, let's go out to Mesa, talk a lot of Cubs. Joining us right now is Tony Andraki, who covers the Cubs for Marquee Sports Network. You see him, you read him, and he joins us right now on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Tony, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you put into words what is different about being at Mesa this year? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think like you guys were just talking about, it's really the the level of talent and professionalism and experience that the Cubs added. And, you know, yes, there's all these World Series winners, but there's, this was a clubhouse that was so young. And, like, there, there are guys who show – the young players, how to be big leaguers, both on the pitching staff and, you know, in the everyday lineup as well. But, you know, they remade the lineup, right? Like they have five new projected starters in the lineup. They have a couple new arms in the bullpen, a new starter in Jamison Tyon. There, there really isn't as many competition, uh, like competition for spots as you would have thought, especially, you know, the way last season ended. So, uh, and really what, from what we've seen the last couple of years from this team too, where there was competition basically all across the diamond. So there's a lot of guys that are locked, uh, locked into spots for the most part, maybe some platoons here or there, but yeah, I think the big thing really, like you guys said, is just adding a lot of talent, adding a lot of, uh, guys with, with that pedigree that, that certainly helps both on the field and in the clubhouse. And 
still making transactions, still adding talent. Michael Fulmer, now the newest member of the Chicago Cubs as well. What does that end up adding? Yeah, I think it adds a guy, you know, a guy who was in the rookie of the year running a few years ago, and uh, he has starting experience, but the last couple of years has really been working as a reliever. So I think it just adds another option, uh, potentially even a ninth inning option in the back end of the Cubs bullpen for David Ross. So, you know, they already had Brandon Hughes. They really like a lot of the young guys coming up. They have Albert Alzali and, and Keegan Thompson are going to be in the bullpen as multi-inning relief weapons, guys who could even potentially close given their stuff as well. Uh, if it needs to be, but then, yeah, you know, this, this offseason, they had Michael Fulmer, they had Brad Boxberger, they claimed Julian Merriweather off waivers. They have a bunch of non-roster guys that can impact the bullpen. So I think it's just adding some of those kind of low impact uh, or sorry, low risk guys in free agency that we've seen be really successful for the Cubs in recent seasons, you know, like the uh, Andrew Chafin move, Ryan Tapera last year was David Robinson, Chris Martin, Michael Givens, like, those kind of moves the Cubs keep hoping to replicate, but ultimately I think they really want to build their bullpen from within moving forward. And I think, you know, the fact that they reached out to guys like Fulmer and Boxberger, and those were the guys they added, you know, it certainly makes me curious um, what they saw in them specifically and, and what they could bring, you know, if they could be other guys, like we said, that fall into the Robertson, Chris Martin type of uh, type of like atmosphere. Cubs Spring Training on the Score is sponsored by Sloan, official water efficiency partner of the Chicago Cubs, talking Cubs with Tony Andraki from Marquee Sports Network. Let's talk about some of the, the questions that I think the Cubs have in terms of spots that they're trying to find answers to. At third base, Patrick Wisdom led the team in home runs last year, but is he the guy that is definitely going to be the third baseman on opening day? No, I don't think so. I, I, he's certainly in the mix, but they just the Cubs just added a guy in the last couple of days, and Edwin Rios on a big league contract who, uh, you know, played for the Dodgers and came up through their system. You know, so he provides a left-handed bat, and then Zach McKinstry provides a left-handed bat at third base. Uh, Miles Mastroboni as well, who the Cubs acquired in a smaller trade with the Rays. Uh, I think that was in November, so it seems like a while ago. But uh, you know, they have that, and then Christopher Morrell too. You know where with Cody Bellinger in center field and with some of the other moves like Nico moving to second base, you have Morrell and Nick Madrigal kind of without positions right now, but third base is open. So you have those like five or six guys really in the mix for, for third base here. So I'm really curious to see how it plays out. Like that's the one position I feel like I'm, I'm watching most throughout the spring and especially when games get going is, you know, who's in the lineup at third base, who's making the plays, who's going to be the best, um, you know, hitter that just kind of matches with a lot of these other guys, right? Like Patrick Wisdom has power, as you just mentioned, but maybe the Cubs feel like they want another athlete like Christopher Morrell playing there a bunch, or they feel like another left-hand bat like McKinstry or Master Boney or Edwin Rios as well. So I think they definitely have a lot of options, but yeah, you know, it, it's certainly a position that I'm going to be looking at. And like Nick Madrigal has never really played third base. So how, how does he look over there and you know if so like is is that a guy where his incredible contact is quite a bit different than the offensive profile that Patrick Wisdom brings to the team like is that where the way the the way the Cubs uh, want to go at third base so yeah all things that definitely gonna be looking at over the next five weeks or so why did they so quickly determine that Thompson and Alzali won't be a part of the rotation yeah it's a good question I don't know the exact answer to that um, but I think really looking at just their, their success and their track record, they are several points better in ERA as relievers over the course of their career than as starters. And I think unlike the last, 
year or two years, the Cubs have more options in the rotation. And that's even including Kyle Hendricks not expected to start the season healthy uh, and maybe not even going to be ready until May or mid-May. So, um, you know, they brought back Drew Smiley, which I think is a, a pretty big addition or re-addition if you want to look at it that way, Jamison Tyon as well. But then, you know, Stroman steals, so they got four guys locked into spots. But then they have Adrian Sampson, Hayden Wesneski, Javier Assad. Like, they have some some in-house options for the rotation that they didn't really have or maybe didn't necessarily feel as confident in the guys they had, you know, a year ago at this time or, or two years ago or so on. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we saw what Keegan Thompson did out of the bullpen first couple of months of last year, and, and we've seen what Adbert can do out of the bullpen as well. Like, these guys really are dynamic as multi-inning relief weapons, and then the Cubs really like being able to like pick the pockets and, and spots of the lineup where they can deploy these guys better than than having them start. So I, I think you know Ross really talked last year about Keegan in specific and how he just loved the look of the bullpen with Keegan there and the ability to even reset on a day right where like the starter goes five innings and then Keegan can come in and throw four and basically the entire bullpen gets a rest and and it's like an off day. So whether the team's winning or losing or whatever it is, I think there's a lot of value in that. And then, you know, the ability to be successful and pitch high leverage innings too. So I think that's really all all the things that kind of baked into the equation for the Cubs. Yeah, and you have two of those guys, not just Thompson, but Alzelay can do the same thing in terms of just giving you stuff that it's a completely different look from the starter that day with the the fireball ability that both guys have. We're talking Cubs with Tony Andraki from Marquee Sports Network here on The Score. So when it comes to the fifth starter, we found out the other day that, that Kyle Hendricks will not be ready for opening day. So based on the performances of, of the guys in the running last year, you know, Adrian Sampson, you mentioned him earlier. We, he was he's very consistent down the stretch of the season last year. Hayden Wisniewski, in the brief time we saw him up in the big leagues, looked like he belonged. And you could say the same thing for Javier Assad. How does it look to you, at least in the early going of the spring? Yeah, that's a really good question, too, just like third base. And, you know, maybe it depends on, on like, veteran experience. It, it depends on, uh, you know, if the Cubs want to see Wesneski, you know, get a bit more looks at, at AAA or same with Assad. You know, uh, obviously Wesneski was only in the organization for a couple of months last year, acquired in the Scott Efros deal with the Yankees in July. So, um, so yeah, so, I, you know, I think – but, like, Wesneski really, really was impressive to me like, down the stretch last season as – this multi-inning relief weapon, but then when he got in the rotation, I felt like he was even better, you know? And so um, he's a guy that I'm really keeping an eye on for the future. And, and I think the Cubs really love as a, as a possible like anchor of this rotation moving forward. So he's a guy that, you know, I think I'm pure stuff and, and just in general, like his makeup as well. He's a guy that I, I definitely think will pitch a lot of, uh, make a lot of big starts for the Cubs this year. I don't necessarily know if that's going to be on opening day. They may lean towards the experience of Adrian Sampson and just the track record. I mean, he, he obviously has bounced around. He's a journeyman, but with the Cubs, he's done nothing but perform and outperform expectations. And his stuff has even ticked up a little bit last year as well. So, um, you know, it's hard to look at what any of those three guys have done and and what they did down the stretch last season when the Cubs had like the third best uh, starters ERA in baseball after the all-star break. But like, it's hard to look at these guys and say like, Oh, you know, this guy is, certainly deserves it over the other because all three of them pitch so well. Um, but, you know, maybe Samson is a guy, too, who has pitched a little bit in relief, not quite as much. Like, maybe he's a guy that ends up, because of his veteran experience, at, you know, getting the kind of being the front runner for that rotation spot. But, again, you know, Wesneski and then I think Assad, too, are great 
uh, options who have minor league options, but then also guys who can come up and, and, you know, if another injury strikes or will probably be like long-term parts of the rotation. So I don't know the answer right now. I think Wesneski just is the guy that I look at so much because I think he's going to be a star. I think in modern baseball, we've kind of gotten accustomed to thinking of, you know, like the, the confidence of a particular sort of battery, like, all right, they, they got all these big swingers in the lineup, so here's a b- bunch of home run power. They're going to step to the plate with bravado, or your starting staff has a bunch of flamethrowers, so they got all kind of swag when they, you know, when they take the mound. But the, the middle infield, that this Cubs defense should have the potential to be really special as well. Is that something that, that they're talking about either internally or, or even publicly just with how excited they are with the way they're constructed there? Oh yeah, I think that's really the like the backbone of this entire team is that up the middle defense, and it starts with the new acquisition in Dansby, but Nico as well. And so um, we actually had a really cool demo that's uh, airing on Marquee Sports Network this evening about the two guys and how they they turn double plays and how they're working together early in spring training to do something like that. So um, you know, it really kind of I think the Cubs go this year as those two guys specifically go. And then adding Tucker Barnhart at catcher, Cody Bellinger at center, like really helping that up the middle defense. But yeah, the the shortstop second base combo. I mean, Nico was a fantastic defender at short last year, moving him to second where he was a gold glove finalist a couple of years ago. And uh, without the shift, I mean, they have the Cubs have probably the best middle infield defense, two of the most athletic, you know, rangy guys up the middle uh, with the new rule changes and stuff. Like, I, I think that's going to be a huge reason for the Cubs success. And if they win the division, if they make the playoffs, I think we're going to look at Nico and Dansby in particular, and then turning, you know, all those ground balls and out. So I think they're going to get a ton of credit for any success the Cubs have this year. All right. Anthony started it. You kind of talked about it a little bit, Tony, give us an idea because right from the get go, when they start playing spring training games this year, umpires have been told to enforce the new rules. So behind the scenes, and and you've been to the the last few Cubs camps, you understand how it works. What's different about the way the team is training to prepare for this new style of baseball? You know, they're honestly, they're toying around a lot. Just like Kitchcom last year was a big thing and a topic of conversation between pitchers and catchers. And now that's obviously a big thing, you know, again, this year, plus you have the pitch clock in there. So you want to make sure that there's direct, efficient, you know, quick, timely communication between catcher and pitcher, uh, especially when you're considering like the disengagements from the rubber to make, you know, uh, pickoff attempts towards any base. And you do that so many times, it's a balk and, you know, so on. So, um, and then same, you know, with the pitch clock, like you don't want to have any automatic balls when, when there's so much at stake here. So I think that's huge for sure. That's what the Cubs are looking at. They're toying around with in bullpens. They're, they're trying, you know, in live VP sessions where Marcus Stroman or Drew Smiley or whoever else, guys who have pitched, you know, 10 years or so in the big leagues without these type of things, they're trying to institute them as much as they can in practice so it becomes muscle memory and the repetition in once games start. And, you know, they do have four or five weeks of spring training games to get used to it too before everything counts. But, yeah, it's certainly going to be a different element. And then, you know, you add the no shifting, which I think will obviously bring a bit more offense into the game. And then bigger bases. You know, I, I anticipate a lot of stolen bases this year. Like, I don't know about a huge increase, but I definitely think that's going to come back into the game this year. And we, we saw that last year from the Cubs. I'm super curious to see how it goes this year. Like David Ross and, and the team, after not really running at all in April, in May, they, I think, led baseball in stolen bases. And then, you know, June on through the rest of the season, they were 
one of the more aggressive teams running on the base pass. So when you add athletes like Dansby Swanson to the mix, Cody Bellinger, uh, the potential to run is certainly there. And so I'm really curious to see if the Cubs take advantage of it and if they can kind of separate themselves and use any little thing they can to their competitive advantage. And maybe with the bigger bases, with the you know lack of uh, disengagements from the rubber or pickoffs, maybe the Cubs run a bit more this year, and that's how it helps them out offensively. So I'm definitely going to be watching that. It'll be fun. Some action on the base pass. We're all about that. Uh, like you referenced, that was a, an adjustment that Rossi made throughout the season last year. That was, all right, here's, a, here's an impressive sort of adjustment for a guy who's still young in his managerial career. Uh, the, the youth on the whole for the Cubs last season, early in the season, struggling. And then as, as you had this thing developing a bit, we saw them begin to perform at a higher level. I'm wondering – now that there have been some of these acquisitions, and like Zach's talking about, you got names that you know, then are the Cubs willing to address that? All right, there's more expectations. There's maybe a bit of pressure with what they're what they're going to be putting out there on the north side this season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Tom Rick has just met with the media today in, in Mesa and said that you know he certainly expects the Cubs to be in the mix for the division this year, and um, they're not going coming right out and saying like we we expect to win the division and make the playoffs and be World Series contenders. But, I mean, they're, they're kind of quietly confident about this team, and they should be. They certainly added a, a bunch to a team that, you know, was eight games over 500 down the stretch last year and uh, a team that has a lot of pitching depth within the system, and they added even more to that. And then, like you mentioned, too, young guys coming up. I mean, Brennan Davis, Matt Mervis, and P. Crow Armstrong, Kevin Alcantara, like there are a few guys – even on the position player front that are, you know, could be up this year or maybe early next year or something like that. So guys that can be game changers long-term for this organization too. So there's definitely a lot of confidence uh, about the, around the team right now and how they're looking at this season for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, in, as for the division, I mean, the Cardinals and Brewers had pretty good off seasons, but I, I don't know that they like necessarily run away with anything. So I think the Cubs look at it and they're kind of pragmatic and realistic and think like, why not us? Why can't they be a part of the the division competition this year? And I think that's the way they're looking at it. And that's what they're expectation and their internal goal is this year it's been a while since uh, the, the cubs uh, <laughs> entered a season with uh, a realistic belief that that good things could happen so thank you very much tony appreciate the time good luck out there we haven't even talked about whether or not the cubs are going to sign a, a another lefty reliever and uh, add that yeah. to the pen you know they're they're still it, it's not a complete team just yet tony good stuff thank you Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Tony Andraki, who covers the Cubs for Marquee Sports Network. There is some breaking news on the score, which is brought to you by the Beat the Streak podcast. Get an inside edge on how to win the $5.6 million prize every day this baseball season. Listen on Odyssey or wherever you get your podcast. So Woj reporting, quote, the Chicago Bulls are nearing a deal to sign free agent guard Patrick Beverly for the rest of the season. Oh, doesn't, doesn't move the meter. I mean, yeah, doesn't hurt anything. But doesn't hurt if you if you're you know. looking to get into the play play in game. You sure. can't hit three pointers. Well, can you prevent the other team from scoring? And you've got like two and a half defensive presences out there. You know, add, add, a, add another guy. Add a, a real defensive presence to your lineup. And you Nothing add uh, someone who knows a little bit about the area. Mm-hmm. That doesn't hurt. All right. Right. Yeah, I'm on board. It's I wonder, fine. I wonder what he's got left. Uh, I mean, he's he can be an irritant. There's certainly that that aspect of things. Bulls don't have a lot of that 
A lot of guys with a little, little little irritant to them. They could use some of that. You say irritant. I say entertainment. Either way, it's <laughs> it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting uh-huh. down the stretch here right. when you add the personality of a Patrick Beverly to the mix. All right, quick break. When we come back, we will go to Glendale and talk White Sox baseball next. Anthony Heron is here. I'm Zach Zaidman in for Parkinson Spiegel on the score. You're listening to Zach Zaidman and Anthony Heron. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. And 670 The Score, Chicago's sports station. What did you like about being with these guys that, that made you happy to come back? I love it, man. Uh, you know, I spread the interest, you know, last year towards the end. Uh, saw myself, you know, really playing back for a full year I think the the joy that I have for a month I, you know I want to be able to you know stretch that feeling for six or you know close to seven eight months so you know I think it was a it was an easy decision you know towards the end for me to come back a popular signing on the south side Elvis Andrus is back he's never played second base he's always been a shortstop but you know what? The way Major League Baseball is changing, you know, can no longer shift. You almost want to have a shortstop now playing second base because you're going to need guys that that have that range. I think it's one of the reasons that the Cubs are excited on the north side, moving mm-hmm. Nico Horner to second. I think the White Sox are trying to do the same thing with uh, Andrews coming back and now playing second base. Zach Sademan, Anthony Heron in for Parkinson Spiegel on the score until 6 o'clock. Let's talk some Sox baseball. Go out to Glendale. Joining us now from The Athletic is James Fegan on the score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. James, good evening. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Did I kind of get that right into why uh, the White Sox deemed Andrew so valuable? I think that's part of it. Um, I think a lot of it was already some proof uh, from last year that there was a uh, a clubhouse fit and that he it brought some of the heads up play and the base running and the you know management of even pitchers and game situations of knowing when to kind of calm things down, slow things down, to call timeout. Uh, that they already knew kind of fit. And, and certainly the fact that he had one of the best offensive stretches of his career for about the six weeks that he was with the White Sox uh, lends you a bit more confidence rather than if he was coming off of um, maybe a down year or some of the last you know three, four years that he had had in Texas and Oakland near the end of his career. He was really adamant that he thought he had found something in a swing that he hadn't had since he broke his elbow in 2018. He had had his two best offensive years right before that injury happened. So there, there's at least a bit of offensive optimism to think that he can stick and still be productive. 
uh, on top of the fact that, yes, he's Elvis Andrews. He's a gold glove winning shortstop. He should be able to handle second base, uh, even with a second base that has more expanded responsibilities now with the, with the shift rules. Lucas Giolito has reshaped his body for a couple of off seasons in a row at this point here. What makes him any, any more confident that this current version of himself, almost 40 pounds lighter than he was going into last season, is really the right formula for him? I would say the, the overall reason is that this is normal Lucas Giolito. He, he looks like how he normally looks. He's weighing in where he normally was. Last season was the kind of going rogue of, all right, he's, you know, you don't have contact with the team, so he's pursuing this plan with his own, you know, private trainers, and they have this idea that, you know, bulking up was going to make him more durable and sit at a higher velocity uh, throughout the year. And, you know, on opening day, he gets hurt, uh, goes sideways, and, you know, getting his rehab back and everything was kind of thrown off. This is the idea here is, you know, let's not try to reinvent the wheel. Let's not try to um, take someone who was a very good starter uh, for three years and now do something to make him, you know, a Cy Young. But let's, let's just go back to what was effective with Lucas Giolito. So back to normal is more of the, the way I would pitch what the selling point for Giolito rather than like best shape of his life or something like that. Can you give me your impressions of just the way the offseason went down when it, it came to constructing the White Sox rotation and, and where's that next step going to be? Um, for the rotation, I mean, I really think it fits for the team at large was that maybe there's a brief moment after the disappointment of the season of what do we do? How do we shake things up? Do we, you know, completely restructure this team and then reaching the point of, no, we think we like our core. We just need to change the culture, change the coaching staff, uh, do something that, you know, makes us more effective at keeping people healthy. They, they really didn't want to, you know, the needs that they plugged in the rotation is really just one open um, spot based on Johnny Cueto leaving. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of issues uh, with the off the field for the way they've plugged the rotation, but I'd say the upside for, for why it's going to be better, uh, I, I would say it largely lies in someone like Michael Kopech. I, I think with Cease, you know, there's developmental things he can still do, but you'd really be, you know, obviously over the moon if he could repeat last year. You know, Lancelin, and Luke and Sheely, did you see them, what they can do, and you know, their baselines will be just fine. Kopech is a guy who has the top of the rotation talent that – you know, with health, with all the other setbacks we've had, you haven't really seen over the course of 170, 180 innings. And if he can be healthy, if he can have his best fastball more nights than not, which he wasn't able to do with a knee injury a lot of the second half, that's where you're seeing the, the rotation take the next step. It's really with him, I feel. Where's Kopech at physically at the moment? He threw a side either yesterday or the day before that. But, you know, as, as much as they kind of said the rehab took longer than they thought, uh, he spent – you know, he wasn't able to run until uh, even a couple weeks back. You know, Pedro Gafol has made it very clear that he feels like Kopech is on track to start the second series. And I think, you know, with the rotation, you know, being five guys in the four-game series in, in Houston, that means they're preparing for him to start the home opener. So they haven't reported any issues. He says things as much as he maybe is not like 100% effort and everything and think, and as, you know, he would be ready for the World Baseball Classic if he, he had to do that. But, they, they still say he's on track to start the season and start that first game in Chicago. And he, he's still only 26, so there's plenty of time for Michael Kopech to kind of hit, I, I guess, what will be considered his prime. But it feels like we've we've been at this kind of waiting for Michael Kopech to be fully healthy and recognize his full potential. You know, back when he was still in the minors and they were clocking him at 103 and everyone was really excited back then. Is this 
finally anticipated to be a season where you get like a there's no restrictions, no limits on Michael Kopech after he's finally healthy? I would think. I mean, maybe you're not, you know, given how much he, he threw, like, what, a little under 120 innings last year. I don't think you're getting him, you know, throwing Sandy Alcantara workloads uh, this season. And, and part of that is just within the way he pitches and being a little bit more erratic and not going deep in the games we need to. But, yeah, this is the year where you, you, you hope, you think the big step is gonna, has to happen. That You can't really think of what's the thing that's going to hold him back or, or what's going to be the hiccup. You know, we were kind of talking uh, about this just the – the other day, I was like, can you believe this is basically your 10th pro season? Uh, he was drafted in 2014, and he was like, no, I kind of feel like a, a young kid that I've been talking about being uh, you know, an up-and-comer, and I'm going to come into my own for a while now. And you know, I, I think it's time for you know, that to come to fruition. I think that, that status needs to go away. So I think he knows that this is kind of the year uh, to really show what he can do, that you know, a lot of the health restrictions have gotten in his way. Uh, have informed him about how to maybe better use his lower half and, and preserve his arm a bit. So this, this yeah, I, I think you're running the head. That this, this is kind of the year where we should find out what Michael Kopech is all about. Talking socks with James Fegan from The Athletic here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Now, normally, you don't think too much about the impact that a manager has uh, on a regular basis. I think it's overrated in, in baseball, but it clearly was not with the White Sox over the last two years. So can you tangibly explain what's different with the new people in charge? Um, Not perfectly. Uh, I spent a good while talking to Pedro about this afternoon, and I still don't know if I can pin it down. I mean, a lot of it is uh, him saying that the players kind of have to determine, you know, what kind of culture they want and what they're going to enforce. But, I mean, I think – you know, if I'm going to point at something tangible, it's they're doing these high-speed practices and, you know, doing a lot more fielding balls off the machines at full game speed and not taking these easy round balls and doing a lot more drills that are based on their quick reflexes and, and not kind of doing things at half speed, that they're going to be hitting off pitching machines with spin um, a lot more often and, and less flips and less, like, low-speed batting practice just to feel loose or the, you know, the way they're apparently running the most difficult PSPs of all time based on some of the way pitchers talk about it. And I think you're going to hear a lot more overt talking about um, – both how analytics would drive decisions and also how, you know, maybe the analytics of what the opposing pitcher throws and, and what they offer and how that's going to lead to certain matchups that they hunt with, with, uh, you know, hitters and not just simply talking about, you know, platoon advantages or, or being married to that maybe to the point where you walk somebody on one, two in search of it. I, I think it's going to be a lot more talking um, overtly about their decisions in a way that I think, you know, baseball fans who have gotten used to the level of, uh, you know, analytics and statistical knowledge in the game are are in line with. I think there's going to be probably less moments where you kind of wonder, well, what's the data supporting something like this? Is it all field? There's certainly some old school sentimentalities uh, uh, in the staff, but I, I think that the, it's going to look a lot more like what you maybe are hearing across the game because um, I think this this group has been you know widely exposed to that. How many teammates has Eloy Jimenez run into in the outfield so far? <laughs> I have uh, I have not seen a one. Uh, not know, one. You know, uh, given the way the first day went and what it was being talked about, um, <laughs> there was not really much room for positivity. But this is probably the healthiest uh, camp I, I've seen at least so far. You know, uh, every first day of camp usually starts with the GM talking about all the people who got hurt over the off season, and because we haven't heard about them all off season, it sounds the fans like five guys got hurt on the first day. But the only injury they had was. 
Garrett Crochet still coming back from Tommy John surgery, and he's still on schedule, and so he has to have the setback. So, so far, uh, they, they, they're five days in, but, you know, the, the calamities <laughs> have not happened at the March of the last two seasons. Can we count on at your Twitter, at J.R. Fagan, that uh, you'll just start a counter, like days since the last time Eloy Jimenez ran into someone, and just, you know, just take him off day by day every time he doesn't run into someone? Well, I mean, if you got Oscar Colas and Andrew Benintendi in the corners and, you know, Gavin Sheets may still in there, maybe you're, you're counting down days that L.A. Menes has played the outfield. <laughs> I like that. That's even about, better. You know, him not really playing much more than in twice a week, and that would really be something determined by, you know, matchups if they're playing a lefty or someone else is hurt. But I, I think the, the way they talked about Eloy playing the outfield and, you know, him saying, you know, I'm not a DH yet is about the fact that they need him to be ready if they, you know, do have, like, a injury or some sort of need in the outfield. But it's not going to be Eloy as our left fielder every single day, and we're expecting this to work and keep him healthy this time. I, I think they realize they need to take some stuff off his plate, and that's going to happen in a significant way this season. Right. Don't you think, I mean, realistically, he's going to have to psychologically adjust to the fact that his role has to be different because they need him out there especially hitting, and the best way for him to do that is to be a DH for availability. Yeah, and then that was something that Han said was, you know, a sneaky, quiet benefit of what happened to him last year. He had the DH because he kind of tweaked his knee in Cleveland. Uh, I forget what month it is, either July or August, but he was basically DHing, you know, the entire close of the season, six to seven weeks. And, you know, as much as he talked about he hated it, he feels like, you know, he doesn't like sitting around the dugout. You know, he got to see, like, hey, I can do this, and when I do this, I'm productive. Like, it's not something that keeps me from hitting. I can prepare for this game. I, he was kind of forced to the agency that's not the end of the world, and, you know, now it's not something that's this big hurdle of, well, I can't be effective if I'm not in the field anymore. So, obviously, last season was mostly just all bad, but, you know, that did kind of was something he got exposed to and, you know, maybe got over a little bit. When it comes to some of the young guys in camp, and I always find this interesting because – you're getting a real look at, at, at some of the, the young prospects that, that fans read about but don't get to see. Who's catching your eye? Who are you interested in seeing in terms of taking that next step? Uh, I mean, certainly Colton Montgomery, you know, he's the top prospect. He's the top dog and as part of the farm system. He's really physically impressive i don't i haven't talked to him specifically about it but you know one thing he said was that he wore down at the end of last season it was the first pro season you know and he was somebody who played you know basketball as often as he was playing baseball uh you know coming up in high school but he looks like he's you know put on more muscle and, and looks you know if anything you wonder like how can somebody that's you know physically built play shortstop is probably more the question um brian ramos is somebody that you know I, i've always thought has a really compact swing and you know should be able to make contact uh, with high-level fishing. Jose Rodriguez is healthy and you know, looks a little, you know, in really good shape and had a really monster close of the season. So I, I think there's a lot of guys who really took step forwards in the hitting program of the White Sox over the last year and, and seeing how it fares and how it stands up to high-level fishing. I, I think that's one of the fun things of the spring training. Um, certainly guys like Sean Burke, who finished in AAA, who easily could be a spot star at some point in the majors this year, who's big and tall with a you know, big fastball. That, sh- that should be fun to watch at times. But I-, I think there's a lot of, you know, it's not the deepest system at all, but as far as the guys who are advanced who are in, in Major League Camp, I-, I think there's, you know, some decent prospects to really look at who are- a lot of them have a chance to at least factor in the next year or two. 
Uh, I assume daily Clevenger investigation updates are going to be difficult to come by, but is is there anything kind of the, the latest just on how that timeline may play out? It's really nothing. I mean, that's kind of the, the part of the process. I mean, it's kind of, you know, a little bit confounding that it's gotten this far, but I, I know that there's so much the league, they're so invested in the idea of once that they wrap this, that it's got to be final. This is the final word, and, you know, they move on from from there. So I, I don't think they're going to kind of rush and provide a conclusion and provide some clarity uh, just for the sake of the season and then have to reopen because there's new accusations or there's a new person willing to talk and come forward. So I, I think it's, they would, it's going to lean towards staying open longer to make sure that once the word is out, that, that's, that's the final decision and that's, you know, what's to be said on the matter. So, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not holding my breath that it's going to like end tomorrow or anything like that, just because you know it's something hanging over the camp. I, I think they've they've shown they're willing to tolerate the that uh you know the situation. I saw Clevenger uh, taking pictures in the for the uh, you know stadium graphics today, so I think they're still preparing those business as usual. Awkward. The whole the whole situation is really awkward. Yeah, that's a word for it. Yeah, James, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. My pleasure. James Feagan, who covers the White Sox for The Athletic, spending some time with us, Zach Saban, Anthony Heron in for Parkinson Spiegel. So in your time playing sports Mm -hmm. at at the highest level, did you ever have a situation where in one of your locker rooms there was something weird like this, something that that had nothing to do with everyone else on the team, but because of the impact of that particular player, all of you in the locker room had to answer about it? I'll rack my brain real quick. I'm trying to think like the some of the, the like I was in Green Bay for a while my rookie year, but it was it was it was after some you know multiple Brett Favre like infractions between you know some of his uh, like he he ended up publicly talking about being addicted to painkillers at a certain point, and so they, they literally had all all the stuff in the locker room, even as simple as like Advil was all like under lock and key in the training room where normally in an NFL locker room, you go, you can just grab a little package of Advil, but not in Green Bay anymore. Uh, the things with, uh, you know, with Jen Sturger, that that had, you know, come before my time that I was there. Uh, Mike Vick, my time in Atlanta, 04 and 05, that came afterwards with those, uh, you know, with the, the dogfighting scandal. So I'm trying to think of any team where it was while I was, in the midst of being a member of that organization where anything, you know, really scandalous off the field was going on. Nothing really occurs to me at, at the moment. Yeah, Cause I, I, I wonder what that's like yeah. in terms of a team trying to build a new culture mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. come together with this, this new regime. And yet you have this kind of, kind of pulling at you All and right. you can't escape it. You can't just say if, if you're, if you're some reserve outfielder, mm-hmm. you can't just say, well, that, that that's his issue. Yeah, it is his issue, but you're going to be asked about it. it. Your friends are being asked about it. Your mm-hmm. teammates to your left or right. It, it, it doesn't stop. The questions don't stop coming. And it's, you know, it's one thing to say that, well, there, there's so much other news that's developing at camp, so there are other things to discuss. And a lot of things during spring training that are going on that you don't have to only focus on Mike Clevenger, but it, it does feel like that overwhelms everything because it has become 
such a huge story and and there's no end in sight to it because of what James was just referencing there that no one knows how the investigation is playing out, what the timeline is with it. As other accusations may continue to come uh, and become public, then there's other interviews that will happen within the investigation. And you just don't know what, at whatever point. You know, it certainly feels like the White Sox could have been done more of a service by the MLB office just to step in and say, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to list him and, and just figure this thing out and not have him show up there at camp. But he's there. He's in spring training with everyone else. And they're all just sort of existing in that that awkwardness, to use your word. I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure it, it is in a lot of different ways. That's Big Ant. I'm Zach. We're in for Parkinson Spiegel. More coming up on the score. We'll be playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They will be playing with me. <laughs> yeah? I made the playoffs last year. They didn't. It's the difference. Patrick Beverly never ever lacks for confidence. Woj reporting that Beverly is near a deal to become the newest member of his hometown Chicago Bulls. It's going to be a nice moment for him, you know, for a guy growing up as a Chicagoan to get Mm -hmm. to come back for the hometown team. I would imagine he's not going to take the hometown discount still under the current terms. Uh, He's got the buyout. Gonna get paid here too. Get to come back home. It's a nice moment for Pat Bev. So congratulations to him for joining up with the Bulls. One of those things where I, you know, played with Detroit, played with Green Bay, didn't get the opportunity to to be here. So I was in and around the division, but growing up a Bears fan, never did get to play for the Bears. So that's a, a nice moment. You think of like, you know, obviously Pat Bev is nowhere near D Wade status, but a guy who grew up <laughs> as a Chicagoan, as a Bulls fan, and getting to, you know, at the end of his career, come here and, and play with the team he grew up rooting for. So, you know, quite the honor. It was just like, you know, like I got time there, you know, mm-hmm. getting to do that with the Bears. It's uh, quite a privilege to be able to have that opportunity. Yeah, at one point in his career, Patrick Beverly was as good of a defensive player as there was in the NBA. I don't believe he's anywhere close to that kind of player now. Mm-hmm. But if he can give you something, I mean, this this is a team. It's going to be defense that ultimately it enables the Bulls to potentially get into the play-in, right? right. I mean, because yeah. it's – you're not going to magically start knocking down three-point shots. I think health is number one. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you got to keep your, your big three healthy, and somehow they Are have Are you about to say get Lonzo Ball back? I I mean, <laughs> at, at this point, I think we're going to – just in, in talking to – plus, I don't believe that Lonzo Ball, it, that his injury is the only reason that we've witnessed this team go downhill since the second half of last year. Well, no, aside from that, they're just bad. But he would help. His health he would, would help. help. Anybody would help, <laughs> you know, because especially people that give you defense, because mm-hmm. that 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 was in yeah. addition to just being able to distribute the ball the way he did before the injury, the length and the ability to get in the passing lanes with him and Caruso, that was definitely right. an impactful thing. So hopefully Beverly can give them some oh, of that. What if uh, what if Patrick Beverly knows the Mr. Miyagi move? Like what if he can come <laughs> and just put the Miyagi hands on Lonzo Ball's knee and just kind of heal it LaRusso style? Then he'd be getting paid a lot more than whatever uh, the Bulls are going to give Lonzo him. Lonzo Ball is going to fight? <laughs> Lonzo Ball is going to fight? Can you believe this? Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. No mercy. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Lonzo LaRusso. Well, there's a play on words in there somewhere. I'm just wondering. Lonzo <laughs> LaRusso. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hear you. Um, and didn't it sound like this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Loud clap. 
can I'm, hear those old grizzled oh, hands, oh, just man. sandpaper style, rubbing back and forth together. So like, so like this to me, I. Anyway, <laughs> I, I'm wondering, just for this this brief stretch to close out the regular season, can Demar Derozan and Zach Levine find whatever chemistry they had last year during the first half of the season? Is it mm. possible after not seeing it? For nearly a full calendar year now, can they find a way to bring it back? I'm not betting on that. No. Neither am I, and that's what's going to make them. They need a floor general. Neither one of them is that, and they don't have one. They need a floor general. They need guys that can knock down three-point shots, mm-hmm. and uh, th- this is going to take a while. And I don't know how you quickly fix it during the right. offseason. Yeah. Big Ant, it was a lot of fun working with fun. you today. It's always fun. Good time. I'm Zach Saban. Great Ralph Macchio impression, by the way. You need to work workshop it. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I brought it out here for the first time. I've never... <laughs> Never know you had that in your bag. Yeah, it just came out you of nowhere. Save that for the end of the show. Like, like, so like, 62 baseball games. <laughs> right, exactly. Pat and Ron are going to be hating this before the end of the baseball season. Oh, man. So Parkinson's hey, Spiegel right. are Pat, back tomorrow, right? Yeah, I got yeah, the fifth inning there, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Forget about it. The, uh... <laughs> Sean Sears, thank you so much for helping make this program go and helping us blast the speakers of your radio. I believe Gabe Ramirez is next, bringing a full suite of, yes, Vamos! Can't wait for uh, what he has. I don't. He didn't tell me what's in store, but I, I, I'm telling you. I'm just glad be- you said his name, man. When you're signing off on the Cubs games, me and Gabe are going to come on. You never say our names. I'm all it's, offended when you do that. I, they never tell me who's you on. You thank we- Mitch. You, you thank Sean Sears. You, you thank whoever started the game for the Cubs. You thank Pat and Ron. You know why? We're on the network. It's true. We're on the network. Right. You know, we're not on the network now, but that doesn't mean we're not important, and it doesn't mean Gabe isn't important. It doesn't so you mean think you Ryan also? You thinking Ryan Porth now, too? Does he get a shout-out at the end of the games? Well, I mean, I, I think if you like what Ryan Porth has done, <laughs> it's it's self-evident. There's someone else I'm forgetting to think who was part of the show. Leo Stadahar was here as well. That so. was the shadowy figure there behind Sean Sears? That is, yeah. He's, All right. uh, he's a nice sidekick today. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So again, I also with the back of his head the entire time. <laughs> I, and, and, That's what he's known for. It's a silhouette. Just to repeat, I have no idea what Gabe has planned, but I know it's going to be compelling, uh-huh. informative, and entertaining. So stick around. He's next. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Good evening, everyone.